You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. Hey, what is up, my friends? I'll tell you what, it's a good day to have a good day. Welcome into Commute, the podcast, where we aim to entertain and inform you over the course of your average commute. Life is much too short to waste that time in the car. Hey, maybe you're not listening in the car. Maybe you're listening at home or you're listening while you're mowing the lawn, whatever it is. We're just pumped to have you along for the ride, and we are very thankful to have you as part of our commute community. I'm Dave, and I'll be joined in just a second by Jay, but I'll tell you what, we've already wasted enough time. Let's jump right into it. On this episode, we investigate a string of Lego larcenies across the world. $5 jeans, a UNC hoodie, a sarcasm is the best service I offer t-shirt, Somebody just went to Stephen Barry's. And uh, if you've ever bought an engagement ring with diamonds in it for your significant other, have you ever stopped to wonder why you did it? Every day. All of that on this episode of Commute. Let's hit it. So Dave, growing up, did you play with Lego sets? Were you a Lego guy? I did. Um, here's the thing, though. I don't have a whole lot of patience. Did you ever build that, that Harry Potter castle? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I would have much preferred it to have come assembled. So I don't know what that says about me. but Yeah, I mean, it seems to defeat the entire purpose, which is to build them. Yeah, just we are who we are. Man. Maybe that's a, some, a discussion for another day. Um, so what if I told you that across the world, there has been a significant increase in people stealing Lego sets? <laughs> I would be shocked unless you follow that up with, and they're seven years old. So no, these, uh, these are very much adults. Uh, according to The Guardian, I found this article a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was just, we have to talk about this because I need to know more. The Guardian published a, uh, an article a couple weeks ago about uh, the French police uh, and how they had been investigating a ring of toy thieves after capturing three suspects who were stealing boxes of Legos outside of a toy shop in Paris. And this is not just a... French trend. This is happening in the U.S. as well. Last month in March, a man in Oregon was arrested after he stole $7,500 worth of Lego sets. So why? Well, the first is that there's a lot of money in Lego sets. You know, I don't know if you know. Uh, not really. Say, first, there's a lot of idiots in this <laughs> world. <laughs> uh, and I don't know how much you know about Lego sets, but they kind of are pretty strategic about the way that they put these out. So they come out in limited editions. Well, they're based on trends, right? Like, so if a popular movie comes out, like the Avengers or something, they'd make an Avengers set. Right. But then the key is, is that after a few months go by, they start to discontinue the Lego sets, ah. right? And so when you do that, you create something uh, that has become a collectible. And as people start to assemble sets of uh, these, you know, the, like the Avenger sets or the Lord of the Rings sets or whatever, they quickly find that they're missing sets. Uh, and so what happens is, is if you go on eBay and you start looking at discontinued Lego sets, 
you'll be shocked. Uh, one of the sets called the Lego Cafe Corner, which is literally just like a hotel and like a little coffee bar. It's like not even anything super cool. Uh, <laughs> it can fetch up to $3,000 on eBay. It was originally sold for $175 retail. An unopened box of the Millennium Falcon Lego set can fetch for more than that. They're currently on eBay for $3,500 uh, with people watching them right now. People so, watching them. So these are these are hot things. I mean, like people are going to pay a lot of money for them. So why is that happening? Well, it's uh, it's boils down to the fact that the pandemic has changed the collectible market forever. Action figures, baseball cards. Um, we've talked about this on earlier episodes. As people have been indoors, as they've accumulated a little bit more uh, disposable income during the pandemic, and they're starting to get into hobbies that they had maybe as a child, they are starting to realize that they're missing certain pieces in their collections, and they're much more willing to pay top dollar to complete those collections in the year 2021 than maybe they were a few years ago. And so as the demand for Lego sets, discontinued Lego sets specifically, has gone up, crime has gone up with it. I thought Legos were supposed to be fun. So while you were talking, I was listening. Trust me. Um, I went to I went to eBay and I just searched for Legos. The top search results of flower bouquet for $74. What's fun about putting together a flower bouquet? I mean, I'm not really that big of a collectible guy, but I mean, if I had the opportunity to buy that Battle of Helm's Deep Lego set, I mean, I might think about pulling the trigger. I thought you were going to say, if I had the opportunity to buy that flower bouquet and my wife wouldn't get mad, I would buy it. All right, Jake. Oh, I'm excited about this, man. We're going to talk about a special place, a magical place, a cheap place, a place that will always live in my heart where you could get $5 jeans, an officially licensed Duke jacket, and a beer delivery guy shirt all in the same shopping trip. Do you know where this is. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're talking about Steve and Barry's. Uh, you know, <laughs> growing up, my mom is uh, is a big, she's a big deals person. Uh, and I know my mom listens to the podcast, you know, love you mom. Uh, but she loves deals and uh, she will sacrifice quality uh, for, for, the, for the cheaper price tag. And uh, man, when she found Steve and Barry's, I don't think I wore anything other than college uh, t-shirts to school for the next four years. You are a fan of every team. Yeah. So just in case you are not aware, you're listening to this, of what Steve and Barry's was, I'll fill you in. Okay, so Steve and Barry's was a clothing store founded by a couple of dudes named, wait for it, yep, Steve and Barry. Stephen Shore and Barry Prevar. They started the store in 1985 at the University of Pennsylvania as basically a cheaper alternative to the university bookstore. The success of this first location led to other stores on other campuses, such as Michigan State, Rutgers, Purdue. I mean, we're talking big-time D1 universities. Well, in 1998, Steve and Barry's opened its first large mall-based store in Michigan. And in 2001, a young Dave Traub 
purchased his first pleather, Jay, that's fake leather, UNC Tar Heel jacket to wear to eighth grade. Let me tell you, man, people were jealous. Oh, man. The company just continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. In fact, it's continuing product line expansion and celebrity endorsements. More on that in a moment. Let it to grow by a staggering 50% per year for two decades. In fact, for several years, Jay, it was the fastest growing retailer in the U.S. and was along the top builders of new stores and new square footage in the U.S. right alongside big box stores like Walmart and Home Depot. And the celebrity endorsements at Stephen Berry's are the stuff of legend. Okay, we've got Sarah Jessica Parker of Sex and the City fame with her own clothing line at Stephen Berry's called Bitten. Former Nickelodeon star and troubled adult Amanda Bynes debuted her clothing line called Deer. Tennis star Venus Williams had her brand Eleven. Now the V's capitalized in that, Eleven. And golfer Bubba Watson, who's much more famous now than he was then, had his own athletic brand, very catchy name, Jay, Bubba Golf. But perhaps the most famous celebrity endorsement at Stephen Berry's came from former NBA star Stefan Marbury in 2006. Marbury and Stephen Berry's launched Starberry, a 50-piece clothing line highlighted by the legendary Starberry shoe, which was priced at $14.95. And Jay, basically, this was used as kind of a social statement. It made shoes affordable and available to lower-income children. I think every single time I left a Stephen Berry's, whoever I was with, we had the conversation of like, how are they selling $5 jeans and still remaining in business? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. And they didn't. (laughs) So Jay, what happened? Well, Stephen Berry's was what is called an extreme value retailing company. Okay. So companies like this offer cheap items by having little to no money in advertising, staffing their stores with the bare minimum number of employees and making strategic decisions and manufacturing purchases, which basically meant that they cut out the middleman. Okay, They got their goods from China utilizing a line of credit. When the financial crisis hit in 2008, their margins were already so slim that they couldn't afford to borrow in the same way that they had previously, and Stephen Berry's sadly went the way of Sears. So Stephen Berry's went from purchasing big stores in struggling malls where they could negotiate cheap rent to try to put some bodies into this mall to pump up the sales within a struggling mall to a place that as quickly as they rose, they fell. You know, I still have memories of a jacket that I used to have from Stephen Berry's. It was a uh, a Yukon jacket, and man, I wish I could find that thing. Yeah, you could probably sell it. Let me check on eBay how much those are. Stephen Berry's uh, University of Connecticut jacket, $12. I mean, that's a profit. I paid $5 for it. <laughs> so you do the math. <laughs> so Dave, I'm not going to put you too much on the spot. So I'll allow you to be as vague as you want to be. But you are married. Uh, and did you buy your wife a diamond engagement ring? And if so, how much did that set you back? That's such a personal question. Well, you can you can be vague. You can say like, oh, about a couple months worth of money or something. It you know, set something me back like a lot. It was extremely expensive. <laughs> 
did you ever stop and ask yourself like why am i doing this every day yeah yeah and <laughs> and i think uh, a lot of people um sort of unplug themselves from that matrix every once in a while and they say like why did i buy this and i think a lot of us come up with the same answer and it's that well it's because everybody else does right so let's explore that history a little bit. So prior to the 1930s, diamond rings were very, very rarely given as engagement rings. Engagement rings were given, but most of the times the stones in the engagement rings were more uh, exotic ones or colorful colorful ones, not diamonds. Uh, so in the 1870s, there was an absolute ton of diamonds that were found in South Africa. And at that point, uh, after World War One, we're jumping ahead a few years here, but after World War One in the United States, diamond sales had actually declined by 50%. So the diamond market was not in a good place. Sales were down in that, in that 1870 treasure trove of diamonds that were found. That flooded the market with even more diamonds, so the value went down even more. Enter a company that still exists today called called De Beers. De Beers is the biggest uh, retailer of diamonds in the entire world. And they, at the time, wanted to monopolize the supply of diamonds, but then create a market to sell them. So De Beers immediately bought up the majority of supply of diamonds on the planet and then hired a marketing agency called N.W. Iyer. And the idea was that they were going to then create this demand for the diamonds that they now controlled. The game plan was that they were going to create a situation where almost every person pledging marriage feels compelled to acquire a diamond engagement ring to make that marriage official. So NWAR actually conducted market research before this and realized that most people didn't buy diamonds because they thought that they were just for the wealthy. Uh, they were spending their money on household appliances or cars. They were not about to invest a significant amount of money in a diamond. So what the ad agency began to do over the next few decades was utilize newspapers and radio to give the impression that diamonds were everywhere. They were not just luxuries for the wealthy. Ads were sending the message that a diamond engagement ring was a necessary part of a marriage proposal. And the numbers show that it worked. Between 1938 and 1941, diamond sales increased in the United States by 55 so marketed diamonds was, it was kind of this idea that diamonds were a psychological necessity. The idea that was if you were going to propose to someone, you had to use a diamond. And what makes this even more amazing is that the 1930s and into the 1940s, these were times of economic turmoil and war, but people were still putting their money into diamonds. I'm sure you've heard their iconic um, ad campaign slogan, a diamond is forever. Uh, the advertising age uh, actually named that the ad campaign of the 20th century. And the idea is that the diamond is forever was meant to eliminate the resell of diamonds. So the idea is that you don't want somebody buying a diamond and then reselling it and reflooding the market with it. De Beers wants to be the company selling you diamonds. In the 1980s, they ran the two months salary campaign, which used the tagline, isn't two months salary a small price to pay for something that lasts forever? And today that idea persists that you should spend an average of two months salary on your engagement ring. Did you hear that when you were engagement ring shopping? I had a memory as you were talking about all of this, something was triggered in my brain 
And so I looked it up and I found it quickly. And it's funny that you would bring up the tagline that diamonds are forever because I remember an article that I read years ago and I just found it called Diamonds Aren't Forever. Okay, and in this article they say, and I quote, men who spent between two and $4,000 on an engagement ring had a higher rate of divorce than men who spent between $500 and $2,000. But, Mr. Penny Pincher, the pendulum swings the other way too, so says this article. <laughs> Spending less than $500 on an engagement ring was also found to be associated with higher divorce rates in this study. This sounds like an article that was written by NW Air, the marketing agency, right? Like, this is the sweet spot. This is where you're not going to be divorced, you know? Today, De Beers has actually lost their monopoly on the diamond industry, obviously. The, they still bring in billions every single year. Diamonds are actually a $72 billion per year industry today. So despite us sitting here talking about this, and you can imagine a, a guy sitting down with his fiance and saying, you know, listen, baby, I don't need to spend all this money on a diamond because uh, let me tell you about the history of the ad campaign of how we got to this point. It's all a lie. You should explore that um, impersonation that you were doing there. I kind of like that. Listen, baby. <laughs> I'll bring him on as a uh, special guest uh, in another week. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Commute. Don't forget to please rate, subscribe, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Music for Commute is provided by Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Dude, here's uh, Stephen Berry's keg department chuggers jacket. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs>